So if you haven't yet, open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is in the New Testament, uh, deep into the New Testament, a small little letter. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14 today. About 300 years ago, uh, there was a book that was written that I am fairly certain none of us in this room have actually read, but that has shaped uh, and influenced every aspect of how you and I live. There's a book called The Social Contract, not The Social Network, The Social Contract, uh, written by a French guy by the name of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Now, you don't need to know that. That's just fun to say. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he wrote this book, uh, and I say it's the most, one of the most influential books that has shaped your life that you've probably never read because this became the foundation for our modern ideas of government, our modern ideas of democracy, and really most of Western uh, culture. Uh, and it, the, the book is really famous because of the first line. And you probably maybe have heard the first line if you've never even thought about the rest of the book, but this is how he opened his book. Man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. Man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. How's that for an opening line to a book? Uh, Rousseau was part of this movement called the Enlightenment, where uh, mostly wealthy European men were beginning to rethink uh, what does it mean to be human? Because uh, for most of human history, human history had been hard, difficult. There were some bright spots, but it was often struggle, toil, warfare, difficult things. And so there's this common understanding uh, that humans are at best a mixed bag of good and bad, uh, because that's what your experience was. That's what life showed you. That's what history uh, invited you to embrace. Uh, but these uh, wealthy European men began to rethink that, which is something you can really only do when you have enough money and you're kind of comfortable and say, you know what, maybe humans are actually pretty good. Uh, you're a little detached from reality, right? From the difficulties of reality. But they began rethinking that. And Rousseau was one of these fundamental guys uh, who began to say, maybe humans aren't bad, maybe we are good, and maybe it is actually our environment. Uh, the influences, the culture, the government, the society, the expectations of people that are actually bad. And so the idea is if you could just be a human on your own and shirk the bonds of whatever the thing is holding you back, you would actually thrive and flourish. Now, I say this idea is fundamental and, and, and influential because it has shaped most everything about how we think about government, ourselves, the economy, what does it mean to be a person, what does it mean to be human, In fact, one uh, survey from 2022 found that 76% of people agreed with Rousseau's fundamental idea that humans are fundamentally innocent or good. Now, I'm not here to beat you up and tell you that you're bad, but I think that idea really is fundamental and important to understand. Uh, And that one idea that man is born free and everywhere he is in chains, just to give you a sense of how broadly we accept that, Uh, That idea is really the foundation of progressive views of human sexuality today. Uh, That it is actually the expectations of culture around me or my family of origin or religion that are actually oppressive to me. And if I could just shirk those and be who I feel I really am, then I would be good. But it's also the fundamental philosophical idea behind conservative ideas of limited government and gun control. That's how broadly this idea is, that humans should be left on their own to make decisions for themselves, and no one else should be involving or interfering in my decisions to take care of myself. And so this idea has been accepted all around the world, all around us. It's the water that we swim in. 
Now, why am I telling you all this? This is not a freshman-level philosophy course. Because this one idea that we accept without thinking, that is, the water that we swim in, runs directly counter to the verses that we just read. That the, that the, the verses that we just read, that we're going to look at this morning, actually give us a different picture of what it means to be human. A different idea of what it means. What is our fundamental reality? What is our fundamental condition? And that's really important to get because if you get the fundamental reality wrong, you're going to misdiagnose the thing. You're going to misdiagnose the problem, and you're not actually going to deal with the solution. So what I want to walk through in just these two verses this morning, I want to look at how Paul understands our true need. Uh, then I want to look at what our true, our, sorry, our true reality. What is our true reality? Second, then what is our true need? And then third, what is our true freedom? What is our true reality? What is the condition that you and I exist in? What is then our true need? And what then does freedom look like? So first, let's look at what our true reality is. Look at verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1. He says this, he, he's referring to God there, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Stop there. What is our true reality? Our true reality is that we exist in darkness. Now, what does he mean by darkness? Uh, I want you to think about the darkest situation that you have ever been in, just like light, right? It's very bright in here. We got lots of lovely windows, and there's a bright light shining down on me. But what is like the darkest room that you've ever been in? Uh, I, uh, for a semester in college, I went to a school in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, there's not too much to do in Scranton, but there is a coal mine tour. Uh, which is the only thing to do on the weekends. So you go to the coal mine, uh, and you go, uh, they have this tour where you can go to the very bottom of the coal mine, and then the, coal, the tour operator turns off the lights. And it is the most disorienting experience that you will ever have. Because there's no wind blowing, there's no sounds, everything is absolutely dark. You, I, like, you know that you exist, I feel my breathing, I know, but, but you don't know where the person next to you is. Like, if, if you were to fall down, like, you were a goner because no one would be able to find you. See, that's what darkness is. Darkness is disorienting. I don't know what is up and what is down. I don't know what is left and what is right. I'm not able to make any decisions. I'm not able to actually move, right? Like, I'm stumbling around for the light switch, and I cannot find it. That's what darkness is. And so he's saying our actual reality is that we exist in darkness. Now, what does that actually mean? Right? Because there's lights here. You can make some decisions. You can maybe look at your calendar this week and you can forecast what's going to happen this week. What does it mean that you and I exist in darkness? I think if we look at the way of Jesus, I think there's actually three components or three dimensions in which you and I experience this darkness that we often maybe are not aware of. The first darkness would be intellectual darkness. What I mean by that is we can only understand so much. There's a whole lot that you and I do not understand and cannot understand, and we are very good at deluding ourselves into thinking that we know more than we actually do, right? Uh, I came across a study that the University of Michigan did in 2018. They wanted to figure out if people who think they have better beliefs than other people if that actually lines up with reality. And so here's what they did. They did six different tests for what they called belief superior people. 
people who think that they have everything figured out. And they found that belief superior people, people who think that they have everything figured out, are no more knowledgeable than humble people. In fact, in some cases, they don't know as much as humble people. And the second thing that they found in this test was not only are they not as knowledgeable as they thought, but also that when given a choice between different articles to read, uh, belief superior people were more likely to pick information that already agreed with them. They thought that they would maybe be more open-minded, but the reality is the more convinced you are that you are right, the more deluded you become. And you know we do that, right? You know we do that all the time, right? But this is the reality. We like to think that we're objective, that we actually think clearly, that we ration, make rational decisions and weigh pros and cons, but we are not that objective, right? We have biases. We have prejudices. We have things that I want that cloud my vision and cloud my decision-making. We exist in intellectual darkness. And the fascinating thing about living right now where we are in the world that we live in, is that the, the progress of technology is actually revealing the myth of human progress. Right? Like the James Webb Space Telescope is the most advanced piece of technology. I bring this up all the time because it is just like the, the greatest apologetic for the Bible that we have ever seen. And it is it's just rolling out more information. They're trying to figure out what happened at the very beginning of the universe, which is a very dangerous question to ask, especially with science, scientific technology. But here's what they're looking deep, 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 deep into space time. And they expected to find like primordial goo. That's a very technical term, astronomical term, primordial goo. But what they found is like fully formed galaxies way back in space time. And it's like shattering the prevailing paradigms of how we came to be, right? Like the reality is we only see so much. And the more that technology and our information progresses, the more we find we're just recycling the same problems over and over again. Like, like technology and scientific progress gave us the nuclear bomb. It's given us AI that is now just showing just how little we actually know. I was thinking of this past week about that line from Jurassic Park uh, that Jeff Goldblum says as they're exploring the island. He says this, this is what he said, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should. Now, that idea, and this is not an anti-science thing. I think there's, God reveals himself through science. But I think that idea of what should we do reveals the second place of darkness. Not only is it that we don't see all that we can see or understand all that we can understand, the second is that we are in moral darkness. That we don't actually know and we can't actually understand what is good and what is evil, what is right, and what is wrong. We can't truly assess what is good, and so we are just kind of making it up. And we can't choose what is good. And oftentimes, I think I'm choosing what is good, but actually I find out I'm choosing what is bad, or what is harmful, or what is evil. Uh, this is what, like, like, artificial intelligence right now is really interesting. Uh, and you might be picking up, I'm a little bit of a nerd, yes. Uh, artificial intelligence right now, because what is AI? AI is like searching all of human information and, and the databases and everything like that, and it's just recreating things. And they're realizing, hold on, AI has like a racial problem. It has a, a discrimination problem. Like it has like prejudice problems, like human problems, right? Because like it's just reproducing what you and I have produced in human history. Like there's a moral darkness that you and I possess. And I think one of the interesting things right now, like when we think about moral darkness, you may, you may think, well, we're all just kind of good, we're all just kind of like 
mediocre or whatever, uh, one of the common ideas that I hear a lot is this mantra kind of in our culture uh, that says, uh, believe whatever you want, but do no harm, right? Which is, I mean, it's a nice aspiration, right? Believe whatever you want, but do no harm. But the question that we cannot answer, that you cannot answer, is what does it mean to do harm? You see that question just kind of like, just like throws our hands up and says, well, we don't know what's real. We don't know what's good. We, so, so just don't harm anybody. But who's to decide what is good, what is right, what is just, what is loving? You see, that answer doesn't actually answer the question. It only reveals our moral darkness. And we don't actually know what is good. We don't actually know what is right. We don't actually know what it means to love, not just to do no harm, so we exist in this moral darkness. We're in the dark about what is good. But the third dimension of this darkness is not just intellectual darkness or moral darkness, but spiritual darkness. There's, there's a spiritual darkness that you and I carry within us. In fact, this is what Jesus said. You might think Paul is kind of hard on people, but here's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He's talking to an intellectual leader of, of the Jewish religious movement. He would be a scholar. He would be like a, a professor at a university if he was in our world today. And this is what Jesus said to him. This is the verdict in John chapter 3. Another way you could translate, this is the diagnosis. Light has come into the world. He's referring to himself. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Now notice what he's saying there. He's saying light has come into the world, but we actually prefer the darkness and choose the darkness rather than step into the light. See, Jesus is diagnosing this reality that all of us experience, that if we are honest with ourselves, if we are honest with our decisions, right, uh, there is something inside of me that prefers selfishness to selflessness. There is something inside of me that chooses what I want, even when I know that I should choose to care for other people. But there is something inside of me that motivates my decisions and actually wants to keep me in this darkness. Jesus is saying, light has come into the world, but we're like folks who, you know, when your, your, your spouse, your friend flicks on the light and, and all of a sudden you're, you're just grimacing, right? I would rather stay in the darkness. That's what Jesus has come to reveal some things, but I would actually rather stay over here because it's too painful. I don't want to go over there. I actually prefer darkness. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what Jesus said. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, anyone who sins is a slave. To sin. And his point isn't just that we do bad things, but that there is actually something working inside of me, what he calls sin, that causes me to stay in the dark. That you and I choose darkness. We willingly participate in that darkness. And if you are honest, right, don't you know that that's true? Like, you know when you get into that argument with that person that you really love, and you just know, you know how to just wreck them in an argument. Like, you know, if I just said this thing, or if I just brought up this fault, or if I just brought up this thing from your past, like, it would just destroy you. And you know that for a moment, there's something in you that wants that. Even though you know how much harm that would cause. 
you know that there's something that feels really good the moment that you're, you're just cussing someone out on Talmadge Circle. There's something that feels really good in you in that moment, even though you know that you shouldn't. There's something in you that continues to choose that numbing addiction, whether it is narcotics or Netflix, even though you know it's going to cause harm. It's going to lead you down that path you don't want to go. You see, Jesus' point and Paul's point is this. It's not just that we are intellectually in the dark or that we're morally in the dark, but that we are spiritually in the dark and that we are slaves to the dark. Now, that may not be the most encouraging thing you've heard this morning. But here's the thing. In order to understand what our true need is, we have to understand what our true condition is. Because if it's just a matter of being intellectually in the dark, then what I need is just uh, some more information. I need some bullet points. Teach me what I need to know. If it's just a matter of being morally in the dark, then I maybe just need a moral example or better habits so that I can be a better person. But if I am spiritually in the dark, if I'm actually enslaved to the dark, then what I need is not information or inspiration. What I need is rescue. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here, that if our true condition is that you and I are slaves to the darkness, then what our true need is, is rescue. And that is what he says. Look at what he says. He has delivered us. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Sometimes he says domain of darkness. There is a power that is actually at work in you and around you to keep you in the dark, to keep you ignorant, to keep you enslaved to sin. That is what Jesus said. And this enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he does his best work by keeping you ignorant, by keeping you in the dark. But Paul says what God did is he has delivered us or rescued us from the darkness and transferred us into a different kingdom, the kingdom of the son that he loves. And you might be here and thinking, man, this is a dark sermon. This is discouraging. But here's the thing. If you are floating in the middle of the ocean and you're like, I got this, I can swim. I can swim to shore. You are trusting in your own ability, and you don't know how far the shore is. You don't know if you're going to be able to make it, right? And so then a lifeboat's going to come your way. They're going to offer you help, and you're going to say, no, I got this. But Paul's point is that you and I are slaves to the darkness, and you have to understand that because then what Jesus offers you will make sense. Because he didn't just come to teach you some nice things or to give you a moral example. He came to be your lifeboat. He came to be your rescue. And so when that boat comes your way, and if you don't recognize that you are in the dark, you're just going to continue on swimming in the darkness, and it's going to consume you. But once you realize that you are a slave to the darkness, that that thing in you that causes you to choose things that aren't good, that aren't right, that are harmful, as soon as you realize that that is sin and that exists within you, then you will realize that Jesus came not to teach me how to be a better person, but to rescue me from the domain of darkness. That is what Jesus came to do. And so it's not just a matter of looking at Jesus and saying, what a nice guy. What nice teaching. He rescued you. 
He rescued you, and that is what he is offering you. That is what he is offering you. Are you in the lifeboat or not? Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So notice, where is it that this rescue happens? This rescue happens in Jesus, in who he is, in what he did for you. And what is it that he did for you? How did he rescue you here? Paul uses this first word, redemption. Uh, In Paul's world, that word redemption that he uses there was most often commonly used for the slave markets in the towns. That Paul is saying, look, here's the thing. You and I are slaves to the darkness, and the darkness is using us and abusing us and wants to do whatever it wants with us. And what Christ does for us is he goes to that slave market. He steps into the darkness, and he pays the price so that you and I can be free, that you and I can be set free from the slave market, that you and I can be bought back and redeemed. That is what Christ did for you. And what was the price for that? Paul would say elsewhere, the wages of sin is death. Jesus steps into the darkness and he takes your place. He exchanges his life for yours so that you can get on the lifeboat, so that you can be transferred into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Now, notice Paul's language here. Here's what he says. He says, look, you are either in the domain of darkness or you are in the kingdom of the Son he loves. There's no middle ground there. You're either lost at sea in the darkness of your sin or you are in the boat with Jesus. There's no middle ground there. Now, what is he saying? Look, some of us, I think, we wrestle with this idea of of being in a kingdom. Right? Having to follow someone, having to obey someone. That was Rousseau's whole idea of independence. I want to be independent. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. Right? Because a lot of us have probably experienced someone mistreating us or, or speaking down to us or using their position of authority in some kind of way to oppress us or to make us feel bad. But notice the characteristics of this kingdom. It is the kingdom of the son that he loves. You see what he's saying there? saying, God loves his son, Jesus, right? Fully, completely, has always loved his son, Jesus, will always love his son, Jesus, which means that Jesus's love and care for you is not a selfish care. He's not trying to get you so that he can use you. He's trying to get you so that he can love you, that you can experience the love that God has for him. He wants to share with you. And so whatever the son gets, you and I get in this kingdom. Like, this is what he's offering us. Rescue from our true condition, living in darkness. But that only comes in him. And so then what is our true freedom then? If you're either going to serve the domain of darkness or the kingdom of the son that God loves, what does freedom look like? Look at the two things that Paul says here. He says, in him we have redemption forgiveness of sins. Redemption and forgiveness are parallel in the original language. They're they're two realities of the same freedom that you have in the kingdom 
of the son that he loves. The first thing that you have in this kingdom is you have freedom from the power of sin. And that's what that redemption means, is that you are, are set free from the vicious taskmaster of sin. It no longer controls you. It no longer dominates you. You are now set free from that power to choose what is good, to choose what Jesus wants for you in his kingdom. There was a theologian in the early couple of centuries following Jesus called Augustine, and he talked about what happens when you and I are rescued and placed into this kingdom. He says, before, when we are in the domain of darkness, he says, I am not able not to sin. Not able not to sin. That means every decision that I make is somehow rooted in my sin. It's somehow rooted in this slavery that I experience to this darkness. Now, you might think, man, even the good stuff? Yeah. Because oftentimes I choose good, what I think is good, but it's actually selfish motivation. I'm trying to look good, or I'm trying to manipulate someone, or win someone's approval. So even the good things that I might think I'm choosing, because I, my, my motivation is off, I'm actually still a slave to the darkness. I'm just deeper in ignorance about it. But he said, what happens when you are rescued into the kingdom of the son he loves, is you go from not being able not to sin, where every decision that I make is somehow uh, an effect or rooted in this slavery that I have to darkness, to now being able to not sin, to now choose what is good, to choose what is right, to choose what God would have me to do. Now notice that comes after I'm rescued. I don't begin to choose the good so that God gets my, I get God's attention. He brings the lifeboat over to me. I'm in the kingdom, and now I am free from the power of sin. Now, Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading to fear. That's where you and I exist in darkness. We are slaves to sin and we're afraid. But he says, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In the kingdom, Jesus' Father is our Father. The love that Jesus has is shared with us from God the Father, and he gives us his spirit who enables us to be able to choose what Jesus wants us to do. We are free from the power of sin. Now, here's the thing. We still sin. You're still going to struggle. You're still going to, like, like Augustine had a, a final stage where we're actually fully in the kingdom, and we are, death is defeated. Sin is, is defeated. But right now, right, we're free from the power of sin. God's Spirit gives me the ability to choose what Jesus wants me to do. And so I no longer have to live as a slave to sin. And some of us, like, we've been following Jesus for a while, but we're still slaves. We're still acting like we're slaves to sin. I can't help it. It just, it just feels right. Like, and you just kind of exist in this perpetual cycle of slavery where I'm just choosing what I'm choosing and it is bad and it's just destroying my life. You need to realize that Jesus sets you free from the power of sin. So that in the presence of his spirit in your life, you are no longer a slave to that thing. And so you can walk in freedom and live the life that Paul said last week is pleasing to Jesus. Set free in the kingdom. But the second thing that you are set free from, not only are you set free from the power of sin, you're also set free from the stain of sin. Look at what he says. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so it'd be one thing if Jesus set us free from the power of sin, you would still maybe carry some of the guilt or the shame. 
say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sinning anymore. I'm not doing all the bad things I used to do, but, but I still feel like guilt over those things. Forgiveness means it has been washed away. Which means whatever you were, were doing before, whatever decisions you made in the past, whatever sins and, and shame that you carry is now washed away. You don't come into the kingdom of the son that he loves covered in, in all the past failures that you've made. You come into the kingdom and you are washed clean. He says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Some of you, you're walking in the way of Jesus, but you're still hanging on to guilt or shame from things that you did in your past. You need to recognize that Jesus took all of that on him on the cross. That he washed you clean. And so he no longer is going to hold those things against you. You can approach him with confidence and, and the assurance that in him there's no condemnation, that you can be open and honest with him, that you can be real with him, that he loves you, and that when you come to him in your struggle or in your shame, he's going to call you his beloved son or daughter. How do I know that? Because that's what he calls Jesus, his beloved son. And so if you're in his kingdom, that's what he calls you. Like some of us this morning, right, if this is what our freedom, this is what Jesus is offering us, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the stain of sin, life in the kingdom of the son that he loves. I think there's three groups of people here this morning. And I think each one of us probably fall into at least one of these. Some of us this morning, we need to recognize that we need rescue. We need to recognize that Jesus came to rescue you not just to inspire you or to teach you how to deal with the problems of life. You need to recognize that Jesus came to rescue you, that you were lost in the sea of darkness and sin, and he is God's lifeboat coming to you. And you need to not just look at the lifeboat, you need to not just uh, study the lifeboat, you need to get in the lifeboat. That he died for you, and he says, anyone who calls on my name will be saved. We'll be picked out of the sin and the shame and placed into the lifeboat that heads to the kingdom. Call on his name this morning, not as a good teacher or as a moral example, but as your savior and as your rescue. And what this verse tells us is that the moment that you do that, you are transferred. There's not a waiting period in this kingdom. You are transferred into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Call on his name. Give your sins to him, and he will bring you into the kingdom. You might need to be rescued this morning. Some of you this morning, you've been rescued, but you're still living as if you're a slave to sin. You're not fighting sin. You're not choosing what is good. You're still trapped or acting as if you're trapped. You're not fighting the good fight. You're not standing against the temptations and the, and the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. You're saying yes to things that you know have no place in the way of Jesus. You need to recognize that in the kingdom of the son that God loves, you have a spirit in you that enables you to fight sin, that enables you to not fall back into fear and into shame, but it enables you to say no to the power of the enemy. Why? Because Jesus has defeated him. He's defeated him for you. And so his spirit now allows you to say, Father, help me in this. Father, help me to fight this. Help me to resist this. Help me to stand against this. 
You need to live as a son or daughter in the kingdom in which you are set free from the slavery to sin. Fight that in the power of the Spirit. Some of you this morning, you need to recognize that you're free from the stain of sin. If you are in the lifeboat, if you're in the kingdom of God, you need to understand that there's nothing, there's no condemnation, there's no shame that still sticks to you. You need to just embrace that and celebrate the fact that God loves you and he cares for you. How do I know that? Because he loves and he cares for Jesus and I am in Jesus, so whatever is true of Jesus, God gives to me. And you need to just celebrate that and sit in that. Sometimes we're so afraid to approach God. Say, I don't know if God's happy with me today. I don't know if God loves me today. I don't know if he's going to listen to me because of what happened this past week. He loves you because of Jesus. As you might be carrying the stain of stuff that you did in the past, and you need to recognize that Jesus took care of that for you. And that he wants you to rest in the kingdom of the son that he loves. Not allow that to still hold on to you. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Uh, the picture that Revelation gives is that you're clothed in white robes. Not dirty robes, not musty robes, not stained robes, white robes. Why? Because of Jesus. And that when you call on his name, you say, God, I need you this morning. God, God I, I need you in this area of my life. I need you in this area of struggle. He's going to be right there for you. Why? Because you're his beloved son or daughter. You are free from the stain of sin. And he wants you to live like it. He wants you to approach him with boldness and confidence as his son or as his daughter. And so you might need rescue this morning. You might need to be free from the power of sin and live like it. And some of you might need to just feel the weight and the burden lifted off of you to recognize that God loves you and he wants to be there for you. So I just want to give you a moment. If you just close your eyes for a moment, nothing weird is going to happen, I promise. Just a moment of reflection. The scripture comes to us. God's spirit speaks to us, diagnosing us, giving us the verdict, helping us understand. Some of you might need to actually be rescued this morning. Might need to actually get in the boat never done that before. You've been looking at Jesus as an inspiration or as an example. Let's just take a moment. I want you to assess, is that me? Is that you? Do you see the darkness? When oftentimes you begin to feel it because you're beginning to see it. And that's not to make you feel bad. That's to draw you in to the kingdom of Jesus. That's you this morning. You need to be rescued. No one looking around. I just want to invite you to raise your hand. Just sometimes raising your hand is an act of faith saying, yes, this is me. I want to pray for you. And if that's you and you say, Jesus, I need rescued. If you call on his name, Jesus, rescue me. He will. He died for your sins. He rose again for your salvation, for your life. So it's simply a matter of saying, Jesus, I need you. Turn from my sins and I trust in you. Will you put me in the lifeboat? You can pray that this morning. Some of you this morning, you might need to be free from the power of sin. 
And yes, you're in the kingdom of Jesus, but you're still living like you're a slave to sin. There's a struggle. There's something that you keep saying yes to. And Jesus wants you to say no to. That's you this morning. Would you just raise your hand? Spirit says, we can call on God as Abba Father, not a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of freedom. Live in that freedom. Tell me this morning, maybe you need to live in the freedom and the stain of sin. There's something that you keep hanging on to that won't let you go, and you need to realize that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is you this morning. Would no one look around? Would you just raise your hands? Say, I need to live in the freedom. Praise God. I want to pray for all of us this morning. God, for those who raise their hands and they need rescue, God, would they, would they recognize what you've done for them? Would they turn from their sin and trust in you and get in the lifeboat where you set them free, free to live as you've made them to be. God, for those this morning, they need freedom from the power of sin. They're in your kingdom, but they continue to say yes to temptation, yes to addiction, acting as if they're still slaves to sin. Spirit, would you prompt them this morning to say, Abba, Father, God, I need you. Would you help me? Would you rescue me? God, for those this morning who are still carrying the stain of sin, would you help them see that through your blood on the cross, they are washed clean. Nothing sticks to them in their past because you paid the price for all of it. And they're invited to live as your son or your daughter, loved because of the love that you have for Jesus. God, we thank you that you have rescued us. Would you help us to live in that rescue and in that freedom that you won for us through Jesus? Pray all this in his name. Amen.